Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. <laughs> well, here we are again. Now, we're in 2 Samuel 19, and, and we have just finished a victory, right? David just wins it all. He, he, Absalom uh, is a... Just an utter, total failure as a military <laughs> leader. Bless his heart. Like uh, I, I know I kind of went into it last week. Just I, I still in my head. Like as I as I spent the day and evening, I just kept thinking of this poor kid running through the wilderness, desperately trying to find a way to pull his army back together and figure out what has just happened. Like the calamity. Of the whole situation is fascinating to me on a relational level. So he's dead. Joab uh, sends back the messengers. And if you remember, David, David hears that his son Absalom was killed. And he walks away and he goes up into his, into his apartment there in the wall that oversees the city gate. And he starts to wail. He starts to mourn. All the men and the commanders have already, like they're already on their way home. Uh, So they're streaming in through the city gate. And it would have been natural for David as king and and commander-in-chief, if you want to call him, of the armies. It would have been natural for him to be at the gate and welcome back his commanders, hug them, thank them for their sacrifice, you know, uh, shake hands or or bless the wounded that are being carried back. He would have, he would have, like, it would have just been a, a source of encouragement and gratitude uh, for the sacrifice that these men have had. Remember, they came from all over various countries. They came to support him. His country was, in essence, gone from him. He had left the palace. He had left the capital city. His son was in charge. His son had all of Israel's elders on his side. He had excellent counselors on his side. Like he had lost the country. And these people stepped in and became his support system. They they brought provision. They brought uh war uh, weapons of warfare. They they brought money. They just they they were there for him. And David's up in his apartment wailing, just mourning, weeping out loud, crying. As the men of the army start streaming in after victory, like they're happy. You can picture them coming They're They're all fired up. And then they find out the king is crying. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a, in an atmosphere that shifts from celebration to, to mourning. It's a, it's a, it's odd how that happens. Isn't it? Like you, you, you're, you're in a room everybody's like laughing or whatever. And then like, uh, I know what it would be like. Somebody is that you're, you're at a sporting event or you're at a, at a party. Everybody's having a good time, but then someone gets hurt, like seriously hurt or in this, you know, at, at some level I would say like dies. And I've, uh, I've never been in a place where someone died, but, 
uh, happens in sport, like large sporting events. Back, uh, I don't, I don't know if we're allowed to be at large sporting events right now. <laughs> Currently, in our COVID uh, regulations, we can't go to large sporting events. But you've seen it happen on on television. A quarterback goes down. Uh, a running back goes down, and the whole stadium just gets real quiet. And everybody, you know, often the players will all like take a knee, or they'll. They'll back away or they'll circle up, you know, together to pray. It's it's this solemnness that's that takes over an atmosphere of celebration can shift like that. So that's what's happening to the men as they're coming down the street. They're walking through the gates. They're expecting to see the king. And instead, they hear the king crying. So people people are like, you know, they, you want to be quiet when someone's in mourning, when someone's wailing in, in grief. You don't want to be celebra- celebratory. So does that mean does that mean you're celibate? I don't I don't know what that word is. Anyways, you don't want to be happy. You kind of want to honor what's going on, but I'm sure you're also confused. If you're if you're one of these men, you're confused. Like, why is David crying? And they're like, because Absalom's dead. They're thinking, yeah, but it was a battle. It was a it was war. Like we were we were outnumbered ten to one. We had 6,000 troops, they had 60,000 troops or something along that line. We're outnumbered 10 to 1, and we beat them soundly. We we did not lose that many men. Yeah, but David's upset. So this whole thing is churning the day from one of, of celebration to one of grieving. So word gets back to Joab. Joab is, is in this parade of, of people, but he's not leading the parade because he was busy making sure that Absalom was buried under the rocks, making sure that the uh, Israeli army wasn't uh, regrouping anywhere, making sure everybody was actually running back home. But he gets told, David is weeping and mourning for Absalom, and the whole army of victory is turning into sadness. Because the troops are, you know, are hearing about it, and the and the men, instead of celebrating on their way into the city, come in, and they're hanging their heads, they're dragging their swords, they're <clears throat> they're kind of hiding, they're almost sheepishly coming in, like, like yeah, I was part of the battle, yeah, that was me, uh, yeah, but let's not tell anybody. And Joab is not happy. He's not happy. He knows exactly what's going on here. David is dishonoring all of these men's lives. And and he's destroying what, what support he has. Like Joab understands, you're literally in a civil war here, David. Your family is in is in you know is divided. It's it's been shattered by a son who has been working on an on a on a takeover coup, a political coup for years. This is not like a one-day deal. It's not like it's not like your son had an accident and died. He literally put together a huge army to kill you and now you're more upset over the fact that you know no, he's like Joe I picture Joab getting on his his donkey or his horse like he is just thinking, "Oh no, this is not happening." I am not letting David do this. 
I know exactly why he's upset. I get it. But there is no way this is the right way to handle this. And Joab, in, 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 for all of his faults, which, of course, a big one was, you know, he didn't always do what he was told. And, and in this case, he killed Absalom straight out, like murdered the kid while he's hanging alive in the tree by his hair. He stabs him. I mean, it's it, you, you can't get, he's a murderer. You can't get around that. <laughs> okay. You just can't. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, as as before, if you remember, even when he brought Absalom in, right, he showed he showed honor, he 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 showed creativity, he showed um wisdom in helping David overcome an issue and showing him there was a way. He's done that before with David. He's been a good friend to David in a lot of ways. Yes, he's disobeyed David and done things in rebellion. But he's also been a good friend, and David understands this. They they just have such a unique uh, relationship, and and I I mean I would love to see, uh you know a movie or a a really good book on just just the the dynamics of the relationship between Joab and and his uncle uh, David. Starting I mean it could, well start you can start anywhere really in their story because it goes on for so many years. Through so many ups and downs and geographical locations and political intrigue and and family and ah man and there's so much room for imagination in in that story because you don't have a ton of day to day details just the big just the big ones and within the Middle Eastern culture of that day oh man oh man oh man. That's an epic story in and of itself, and you get to make the whole thing up pretty much. So Joab, sorry, he's, <laughs> get back to the story, Bob. Joab's running or riding probably as fast as he can, and the men, like the, 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 the negativity, the, the mourning, the, the, the destruction of celebration is, is getting further and further away from the city because as you get, you know, it started out with the first wave of guys coming through, and then they got quiet, and then the people behind them got quiet. So it's it's rolling backwards up the road, so to speak. People are just not celebrating as they should. And Joab rides in. He rides in, and he and he goes right up, right up to David. Like he, you, you picture him just busting through the doors, running up the stairs. He gets to the apartment. The servants they're not going to stand in his way. I mean, David, uh, Joab's covered in blood, sweat, tears. He is mad, and he knows he needs to snap David out of this. And he lays into David, and, and the scripture says this, Today you've humiliated all your men who just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. He, he just goes right at the heart of this. He's like, David, you're, you are not honoring people. You're dishonoring them. You're humiliating them. This is not right. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You're literally doing the opposite of what you should be doing. You're telling everybody, all the commanders and all their men, that they mean nothing to, to you. And that you would rather have Absalom alive today and all of them dead. That's what you're telling all of us. 
You're telling all of us, including me, because I'm one of your commanders. You're telling us that you would rather all of us have sacrificed our lives. We would have all died so that Absalom could be alive today. And he hates you. He was coming to kill you. He brought whatever, 60, 80, 100,000 troops to kill you, David. He was. This, is, this was not a negotiational technique. They were in for all-out war. I know. I was there. They were trying to kill us, David. We were chasing them around. They were trying to kill us. We killed them. We won the victory. What you're doing here is wrong, dead wrong, and embarrassing, and humiliating, and dishonoring. I I, <laughs> I don't know if he slapped him, but you kind of get this. I mean, he slapped him verbally. I mean, David's wailing, weeping. He probably sees Joab, and his first thought is, you know, that Joab might join him in in his mourning. Because when you're sad, you want people around you that are going to do that. And I'm guessing there were probably some wives or some concubines that, you know, as confused and and uh, odd that David's uh, reaction was, they probably were in there with him, weeping with him. There were attendants that were you know, mourning along with them because in the culture of that day, when, when someone went into mourning, people would mourn with them. And Absalom just busts in the door and David's looking at him and he's probably thinking, oh, my friend, my nephew, my family, Joab. And Joab's like, what in the world are you doing? Do you have any idea what you're communicating to the men today? David, look at me. And David's like, <laughs> you're humiliating all of us. You're, you, you have told all of us that you'd rather us die, including me. Do you want me dead, David? Uncle, would you like me to die? Would you have rather me stab myself so that Absalom could live, the one who actually came here to kill you? Would you rather all of your wives the ones that are here mourning with you and all your concubines, would you rather them be raped and killed by Absalom? Which, who, by the way, remember, all right, we all know he slept with all your concubines already, the ones that you left behind. You want him to rape all of these women and then kill them? Is that is that your was that your plan today? Was that your big strategy, you brilliant military strategist? You you amazing warrior? Was that your plan? Have my army die so that my son can live? Is that what you're trying? Because that's what you're communicating, you nip-twitty. He probably didn't call him that. And then he doesn't just stop there. I, I, I do like this part, right? <laughs> he says, now go out there and encourage your men. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left by your side by nightfall. And it'll be worse for you than all the calamities that have come to you for your whole life until now. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> He's like, get out of, get off your big butt and get down there. You thank those men. You hug those men. You encourage those men. You thank them. You pour them a glass of wine. You you know, bust out the raisin cakes. You have a party. 
You celebrate this victory. Do not do what you're doing. You get down there right now. He didn't even give them like, you know, wash your face, uh, you know, change your clothes, get down there and sell it. He's like, get up now. You're coming with me now. This is not an option, David. You need to do the right thing. You can picture David. I mean, he knows he's right. He knows he's right. So David puts himself together. And he went down and says he, quote, took his seat. Excuse me. He took his seat in the gateway. He, you know, but this this would have been a regular place uh, in regular times. This is where the elders sit, right? This is the this is the main entrance of the city. So he goes down there and he starts to thank the men. He starts to shake their hands. He starts to bless them. He starts to, uh, you know, he starts to do what he was supposed to do. And the and the celebration comes back. The the proper uh, response to victory comes back. Now, David is is sad that Absalom died. He is. And and I get it. Um, rebellious kids don't make it easier to get, you know, to lose them. I've been around many parents who have had rebellious uh, children, children that have, you know, wanted their parents to die, uh, did negative things to hurt the family. Uh, but, man, if if something bad happens to those kids, the parents still mourn. They still hurt. And if that child dies, the loss of potential is devastating to these parents because, because love always looks at what this person was designed to be. It looks at what their purpose and destiny was, was or is. And out of love, you look at them, and even though everything about them is saying the opposite. All the circumstances around them is saying the opposite. You look at that child and you think, but but I know what they could be. And that's exactly what David was looking at when he saw Absalom. He knew Absalom had rebelled against him, that he had you know, turned the nation against him, and that he was out to kill him. But David also looked at Absalom and thought, there's leadership there. There's, there's, there's authority there. There's purpose there. And and I I was not a good father. I didn't help nurture that. I didn't I didn't put him in the right path. I didn't I didn't influence him in the right way. But but clearly the guy has skills. He just he just pointed it in the wrong direction. And David's looking at redemption and he's looking at opportunity missed. And it and it crushes him because he's the father and he's the king. But that doesn't mean that in the moment, as a leader, sometimes you don't get the option for personal um, processing until you've properly processed with those that are around you. And that's one of those things that, that happens in leadership. There are many times that, you know, as, as a youth pastor, which is pretty much all I've really ever been, I'm currently a family life pastor but I'm just, you know, there's just times that my life isn't going well. But that doesn't mean I get to walk into church and be bummed out. I just, I have to lead. And I'm not saying that I fake it. I don't lie to people. If they ask me how I'm doing, I tell them, you know, I've, I've got some rough stuff going on or whatever. 
And if they're truly interested and they want a follow-up question, I'll have conversations with them. I'm not saying you lie, but but as a leader, you have to lead in, in the moment. And sometimes I don't feel like worshiping, but I'm a leader. And when I'm there, I I lead the people. They watch me. And if I'm bummed out and I'm depressed, having a tough day, and the worship starts and I just sit on the pew and I just stare at the floor, it impacts the environment of the of the church. Now, I'm not the only pastor there. There's other pastors that are leading, so it's not like the whole thing is resting on my shoulders, but there is an, there is a, an impact. And sometimes, because I'm a leader, I will, you know, I stand and I worship. I also know that in doing so, in in connecting to God, I will get perspectives, and I will be in His presence, and in His presence is fullness of joy. And that doesn't mean I'll necessarily necessarily break into laughter, but I will get perspective that brings me joy. And joy is a very deep emotion. It's not just, you know, laughter is kind of the the fluffy, fun stuff on the top. It's it's a deep thing. It's like a volcano. Joy comes from deep places. And David David knew all of this, right? He and and honestly, <laughs> I love saying that. Like I've been lying to you this whole time, but that's not true. I haven't been. Uh, when you when you break down the Psalms, and I I haven't done that in this podcast because uh, it's not the direction I wanted to go. I wanted to go the, in the narrative. But if you wanted to do a study in in the Psalms and match it up to the history of David, match it up to the story of David, <clears throat> you can see his internal struggles. Most of the time, his internal struggles are on the you know on the top end of it, of the Psalm. And where he lands at the end is with heaven's perspective. And he doesn't deny that he's having a tough day or that people, you know, he looks around and it looks like everyone hates him and, and have turned their back on him and, and want to destroy him. Well, yeah, I mean, those would like that whole concept would make a lot of sense when your son has turned the nation against you. Like there's a lot of Psalms that come from these times where he's surrounded by people who hate him. I mean, his his family has has fractured, but in the end, he lands at a place where where he understands that he's going to trust all this with God because he really can't do anything about it. It's really up to God, and he leaves it at God's feet. It's it's pretty it's pretty awesome. David's life, it really really is, and. And it and it's worth the time, if if uh, you know you love the Psalms, it's worth the time to to match it up to his story, and maybe this podcast will help you because it it uh, it is long, <laughs> and there's lots of details, and you can take the opportunity to uh, to work it out. And what's you know, and, and there's lots of people who have already done it. I'm sure you could probably get an app to show you where you know the, uh, a timeline where when a psalm was written in the in the life of David. But even that, honestly, is mostly good guesses. And I've I've done in my research, I've done that sort of study, and there's some that I really don't agree with at all uh, as to what it was written about or where it was written, but. Hey, I, I'm not. I'm not calling them the people who wrote it stupid. 
We just don't agree. And what's great about a, the psalm or or so many times what's great about words from the Lord is they can come back and be used again and again in different circumstances because the word of God is living and active. And it's, it's very good at what it does. And that is bring life and encouragement to whoever reads it or hears it. So David's in those moments. He's, or he's in one of these moments. He goes down to the gateway and he talks to the men and he encourages the men. And the men start coming back to him because they hear that the king is sitting there. So they all come before him and he blesses them and he encourages them and he laughs with them. And all the Israelites, they all run back to their houses. Now, when all of this is over, David David has uh, <laughs> he has some issues. <laughs> this is I've, I've mentioned this I think at the end of the last podcast. Like you have this great victory, and now your life gets super complicated, and that's uh, that's the way life is. That's the way that's the way our journey goes. In so many cases, you you work things out. You get restored or you get victory, whatever that is. You 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 pray for something and the Lord like takes away the desire for it. You think, yes, I have victory over this. But if you don't do the work of maintaining the victory, you don't get to keep it. We we can spiritualize this, you know, fifteen different ways. You can say, well, you know, I I took the I took back the ground from the enemy. I took back the ground. But if you don't defend the ground, if you don't maintain the, the, the ground, the enemy will come back and, re, and repossess it. Uh, Jesus talks about that in, in the New Testament. He's like, if you, you can cast out a demon, but if, if, you, don't, if you don't replace it with, love of, with the love of God, more demons will come back. We talk about that when it comes to, to lies. You can, you can believe a lie about yourself. Let's say, like for me, one of my main, one of the main things I, I believed about myself was that I was stupid. I don't know. I, uh, I have a good idea when that started, and it, you know, like most lies that really bug you or stick with you, you usually pick them up in childhood. I don't know where I picked it up. I don't know who gave it to me, but I, rem- you know, it started in childhood. Oh, Bob, you're just so stupid. You didn't think of this. You didn't do it right. So I carried that with me. And as long as you think it, you'll find evidence for it. You'll find evidence for any lie you want to believe. And that lie will follow you for as long as you want it to. But that's just it. It's as long as you want it to. The love of God will remove it. And you can say, I have great victory. I don't believe I'm stupid anymore. Well, the enemy doesn't just walk away after that and say, oh, well, dang it. He doesn't think he's stupid anymore. (sighs) Well, that was a good run. Uh, We'll go find somebody else to call him stupid. No, good grief. No, the enemy is, 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 you know, he doesn't give up that easily. You got to, you got to do the work of replacing the lie with the truth. And the truth is I'm not stupid, but that doesn't mean I do everything right either. But when something doesn't go right, it doesn't mean I'm stupid. It just, you know, it just might, it means I need to do some work. 
you know, watch a YouTube video to pick it out, uh, you know, to, to work it out or hire somebody who knows what they're doing to come and do it <laughs> or, uh, you know, uh, change my expectation. Like I am not going to, I'm not going to purposely start doing a puzzle. I don't, I don't do well in puzzles. Putting pieces together, yeah. it's overwhelming to me. But I can sit around a table while people put together puzzles. And this is what's funny for puzzlers, right? I'll sit around a table, and for them, people who love puzzles, they, they look at, like, they can't walk by the table without thinking, oh, I'll just, I'll find one more piece, I'll find one more piece. I can walk by a puzzle that isn't finished probably for years. It wouldn't bother me. And I might occasionally, like once a month, look for a piece, but I'm not I'm not driven to put the puzzle together. Puzzlers are. They're they're funny people to me. My wife is one. Don't tell her I said so. <laughs> she, 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 she'll stay up all night. Oh, just I just had to find one more piece. Just had to find one more piece. I'll come down the stairs. I'll be like, really? Like this was supposed to last all weekend. The whole family's here for the weekend. We put out a puzzle so that everybody can work together. And here, you know, the two of you sat up all night and finished it one night. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Why, why, why are we, why, what rabbit hole did you just go down, Bob? Oh, you have to do the work. You have to do the work. Oh, yeah, that's right. The stupid lie. Okay. So if you don't do the work of, of maintaining the victory, you'll lose it again. The enemy will come back. And you have to remember, even in this case, David has civil war on his hands. All the tribes of Israel crowned Absalom king. They 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 stopped their loyalty to David probably for in some cases years earlier. For years they've been planning this. Now I'm not saying all the people of Israel wanted somebody wanted Absalom king, but their leadership did. And he's got a ton of government officials that left the palace with Absalom and came back with him. Now, they didn't leave necessarily knowing what they were going to, but they came back with him. They didn't leave Absalom. They stayed with him. So he's got a government that's divided. He's got a nation that's divided. And yes, he won the battle and his son is dead. The, the, the rebel is dead. But he's got work to do, a lot of work. The, uh, the, the nation not only is divided, but as we're going to go into this, you know what, I think I'm going to do it next week. Uh, so, so I know it's just another podcast, but the, it's complicated. I, wanna, I want to take the, the time because we have it, because I'm not limited but the the nation not only uh, you know the nation's elders not only came out against David and for Absalom, but now that Absalom's dead, they all start accusing each other of not supporting David. Like they they become in essence little nations, and some of them are going to come out right away for David, and some of them are going to delay because. They don't know what David's going to do to them, and they don't want to, like, they, they've gone into defensive mode. Like, we need to put up our defenses. David's going to send his army out to kill us because we're now against him, which would have been the normal way for kings to respond who have crushed a rebellion. They go out and they kill anybody who rebelled against them to make sure everyone else knows, you don't rebel against me or I'll kill you. 
So that's what some of them, some of them are afraid of that. And some of them who want to come out for David because now they think, okay, that was dumb. Absalom is not a great leader. Uh, Ahithophel was not, you know, was not true to what he said he'd be. I mean, Ahithophel literally went and killed himself. So he's dead. Absalom's dead. Um, The massive army, many of his countrymen are dead. So you've got families now that are mad at David, even though technically he wasn't on the battlefield. But they're mad at David for killing their sons who went out against David to kill David because they had to send their sons in against David because Absalom told them to. So, So now all of that tragedy is dumped on David. And David now has to heal the land. Somehow he has to move the nation forward and out of the mess that it was in, that it's in. And it's it's been in a mess for years. And at some level you can say, well, it's David's fault because he's been king all those years. He should have seen it coming. And yes, you're right. But so should have his counselors and so should have his generals and his commanders. There was a lot here that happened under the under the ground, so to speak. Do you have marbles in your mouth, Bob? Not quite, but I might put some in. It might help us out. There's been a lot going on behind the scenes, underground, in the dark. Nobody saw it coming. And the, and, and the end result, now that it's all out in the light, is that the nation is a mess. The tribes are divided. Families are divided. People hate David for killing their children. People hate David for letting this happen and dividing the nation. It's his fault the nation's divided. It's his fault that, that civil war broke out. It's his fault that the royal families has been fractured you got 10 concubines that were raped on a on a rooftop they all blame david for leaving them behind to run the palace he should have just taken them all with him and let absalom find his own uh management staff to run the palace like there's there's this is not (laughs) it's a victory <laughs> and yet uh it's uh it's he's in a tight spot. And that's what happens sometimes. And I and I would imagine the principle is the higher you are in leadership, the bigger problems you end up with and the longer it takes to restore what's been lost. But you also have the power and the authority to restore what's lost where other people don't. So if if David makes the right choices here, he can heal that nation and he can bring it back to rebound fairly quickly. But if, if if he gets distracted, if he gets sucked into the individual uh, tribes and the individual families and, and all of their politics and all of their, pride and all of their uh, offense and all of their defensiveness like this could go south really easily like the wisdom this is going to take in the the honor that this is going to take is kind of pictured there at the gateway when he comes down and he starts to honor the men healing occurs healing occurs and people start to start to come to David and are blessed by David. And David, I think, starts to get the picture of what he's going to need to do for the nation, that he can't take his personal tragedy and and just ignore what his role is in leadership. 
And sometimes, you know, when when you are a good leader and and you've put good leaders around you and things are running well, you start to get personal, right? Your your attention turns to your personal issues, your you know your personal projects. You know, you like you you work on your lawn a lot. You because uh, you have good people around you. You you just kind of point out little things that need to be corrected because yeah, you got good people around you. And you think to yourself, uh, you know, I'm having, well, I'm having a rough day. And you miss out sometimes on the opportunity to lead people into what they need to do. You, Your humility starts to go out the door and you start to become self-centered and self-focused. And you don't want to do the work. It's a lot of work. Uh, you know, let's find somebody else to do this. And you, you, you take yourself out of the role of leading. And you might put yourself in the role of of demanding or dictatorship or you know tyrant, where you still have all the authority. So now you're just telling people what to do. And those are all choices that David has to make. Am I just going to order people around? Yeah, kill everyone who's come up against me. Get rid of them. That's another. You know, a pastor might say something like that. Like. Well, let's just get them out of leadership. I, I don't I don't like the way they make decisions. I, I don't like you know, they, they hung me out to dry, they threw me under the bus. Why would they why would they do that? Why didn't they why didn't they uh, you know protect me? They need to protect me. Like, oh man, there's so much going on here. <laughs> I guess. My goodness, Bob, you gone forty minutes on this crazy story. You have no idea how many verses I was expecting to get through today. <laughs> But there's a lot here, and there's a lot to learn. And I hope you did. I hope we had a good time together. And we're gonna hit this. Uh, we're gonna hit the details, right? I've kind of covered the the overall picture of what David is looking at and why he was in mourning, why he had so much weight on his shoulders. And honestly, without Joab, without Joab, this whole thing would have went south fast, and Joab knew it. And Joab's relationship with David is complicated, but he wasn't always bad. Like, he is a murderer. He's done this now twice to David. Murdered people he was told not to. But he's also been there for David and been a source of blunt wisdom. He's like, if you don't get down there and encourage these men, if you don't do the honorable thing now, all of your support will disappear and you'll have, you really will have a mess on your hands. We need their support. You need their support if we're going to pull this nation back together. And David understood that. And he went down to the gateway and he did what was right. He put his personal issues, his personal mourning off to the side. And he said, all right, I need to do what's right for the call of God, the anointing God's put on my life. It's clear by the winning of the victory, that God still wants me as king. I'm still anointed to be king. This was not his plan for me to be, this was not the way that God wanted me to be replaced, which is the way he felt when he was coming out of Jerusalem, if you remember. When Shimei was was cursing him, he told his men, listen, maybe this is the way God wants me to be replaced. Maybe because I wasn't paying attention. God had to do something dramatic in order to put someone new in as the king. I mean, David had to understand he's not going to live forever. Somebody eventually has to replace him. 
He hadn't named anybody since Amnon, the crown prince, had been had been murdered. So he's like, maybe this is it. But now he understands, no, I'm still king. No, my anointing is still there. My calling is still there. And now I have to put everything back together. I need to start by doing the right thing. And he went down and he celebrated with his men. And none of that would have happened if, if a man of wisdom, blunt wisdom, hadn't come in, busted into the room, and, and in essence, <laughs> punched David in the, in the face, slapped him in the face with the truth. So, yeah, we'll continue this next week because the, the details of the putting, putting the nation back together, uh, they're, pretty, they're pretty detailed. And we'll have some fun with it as well. So have yourself a great day, everyone. Thanks for hanging out. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.